0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me once again for the weekly CIO strategy snapshot conversation. Glad to have back the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS chief investment office, Jason Dreho. So Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice holiday weekend. i uh, looking forward to catching up on the markets with you.
1: Thank you, Danny. Yeah, I had a nice, a nice break. Um, hope you did as well and happy Tuesday.
0: Thank you, Jason. So getting right into it, just acknowledging how the market themes and investor debates continue to evolve quickly here in 2023 with views seemingly shifting every few weeks. I know I've picked up on that during our weekly conversations here on The Snapshot. So with that, I do want to talk about your latest blog, that title being Turbulent Sounds Apropos, Maybe we can dive into that a bit further, and we've talked about, in particular, a soft landing versus a hard landing, but now there's talk, I'm hearing, Jason, in the markets of no landing, which is interesting. So maybe to clear that up for our listeners a bit, Jason, can you begin by explaining to us what the scenario of no landing means?
1: Well, all of this sort of alludes to an analogy that people have used to describe uh, you know, the U.S. economy and the Fed. Uh, so think of the economy as a big jumbo jet airplane, and if it is the pilot that is, you're trying to land the, you know, land the plane down, hopefully it's takes soft landing, Um there's a risk, you know, and, and decentralized risk that it's not entirely smooth, that there's, uh, you know, uh, bumps on landing, and, and worst case scenario, there's economic casualties. Uh, and the reason why we, we kind of use this analogy is that, when the, the, you know, the economy is kind of growing very strongly, it's well above trend, it can't do that indefinitely. At some point, the economy is going to overheat. Uh, in order to sort of you know, cool that down, the Fed has to tighten monetary policy, and ideally, as it does it, it tries to do it in a way that I get sort of a solid sign. So, we get back to trend, the level of stable employment, stable inflation, stable growth, with causing this hard landing. Now, the past, I'd say, three weeks, this term of no landing has kind of arisen. There's a little bit of eye on the beholder of like how you exactly want to interpret it, but I think you know the idea is that, you know, with the soft and hard landing, implicitly you're saying that the economy is slowing, it is coming down to some sort of, you know, growth level. No landing means that there doesn't seem to be actually real signs or evidence that the economy is at this point is slowing. Uh, And in fact, there, uh, you know, there's there's some data recently that suggests after some moderation in November, December, January, data actually showed a, a modest acceleration. Um, there's certainly months to months kind of noise and volatility, but we're not seeing yet uh, evidence of a real kind of slowdown in the economy that, that would suggest we're going to some sort of landing. That's certainly true in the labor market. So that's kind of the, the context of this no landing. Now, still, you can't stay up in the air forever with an airplane. You have to come down, and likewise, at some point, presumably the economy has to has to slow down because otherwise inflation will. Will just persist, and the Federalists kind of keep hiking rates, and as if they're going to say, "We're going to bring this plane down, you know, no matter what." Uh, and the more you do, the more you risk the the possibility of of that hard landing. So part of the no landing concept really is also more of the lane when we have some sort of landing, whether it's soft, hard, or, or something in between.
0: So we have a few landing scenarios: soft, hard. You explain no landing for us just there, Jason. How has the market view on the possible landings? evolved in the past few weeks?
1: Well, if we think about how we ended last year and started this year, the market kind of perception of a soft landing increased significantly. A lot of that was due to the fact that we got economic data On inflation, that suggests we would get rapid disinflation. So inflation was falling pretty quickly, and the markets became, I think, kind of of quite comfortable that inflation is trending back towards 2% and would reach a level that is very kind of the Fed would be comfortable with in terms of pausing rate hikes and even doing rate cuts. Then on the growth front, we had evidence of kind of global growth reacceleration. Uh, and some of that stemmed from, the, you know, the faster reopening in China as they dropped their COVID-0 measures, we saw that in Europe as the warm weather uh, led to, you know, much more optimistic projections of economic activity, and data When we got uh, on Tuesday morning is consistent kind of with that. Uh, and the U.S. economy, the data showing that, you know, the labor market is holding up, and, and just what I alluded to, other data showing, you know, still kind of good resiliency. But the combination of, of you know rapid disinflation, growth being okay, would give the Fed reason to you know, maybe hike twice this year, and in February and mid March, and then be able to pause. So all that sort of kind of fueled this idea that there could be a, a soft landing, uh, and that was the case up until about two plus weeks ago. Uh, what's happened since then, and it began with a January uh, payroll report that was uh, you know far higher than expectations, over 500,000 jobs created. Um, and the data we've had since that in terms of retail sales, kind of consumer sentiment, you know, other activity that's showing that maybe we're, we're not decelerating in some of the worst parts of the economy, such as housing, but at least stabilizing financially a little bit, combined with this other data, suggests there's, um, you know, there's kind of good growth resiliency more than expected. And we're also even seeing some of the inflation data with a little bit higher than expected. Uh, you know, not reacceleration, but not falling as, as quickly as investors assumed. So really, what we've seen collectively is for both growth and inflation data, upside surprises. So on the one hand, that's sort of good, it kind of, it's consistent with a soft landing, but it also kind of heightens concerns that, well, maybe the economy is running too hot, the Fed's going to have to keep hiking uh, more than anticipated. And you've already seen the market price in quite a few, well, just more hikes than what they assumed at the start of the year. So now, not only obviously, what we got, one uh, 25 basis point hike at the beginning of uh, February, but the you know, 25 in March is almost certain. Uh, another 25 hike at the beginning of May is very likely. And I think the a June hike is, is kind of on the table. It depends on what the table data does. And if the economy stays on this current path, this sort of no landing path where inflation and growth stay elevated, the Fed will just keep hiking. Inevitably, that's at some point, it's going to you know, cause you know, more pain and sort of increase the risk of a hard landing. So that's why I think the markets have sort of shifted to realize there is, you know, there's a good outcome that they're optimistic on in January. The past two weeks show actually you know, there can be sort of too much of a good thing and and then we're sort of seeing some of the markets trying to digest that in the past couple weeks, including even this morning.
0: Following our conversation last Monday, I want to point our listeners, our clients, to another blog you author, that title Fatter and Flatter and that blog described the distribution of macro outcomes for the U.S. economy. So what a exactly, Jason, does that mean, and how does it relate back to the no-landing concept you shared with us a few moments ago?
1: Well, if we think of a distribution on a linear spectrum of, of how the economy could do, and there's, there's multiple dimensions, but let's simplify it to sort of like a you know, straight line. You know, the you know, Your main sort of base case scenario is somewhere kind of in the middle, but then the tails, you know, the upside and downside scenarios, when um, we we'll refer to kind of like fatter tails, that's that's what we mean, like this higher probability of, of either an upside scenario, which really is kind of the soft landing, almost, um, you know, rapid disinflation without, you know, any real job losses, actually the ideal outcome. And that's sort of the market was kind of thinking that's some real possibility certainly at the start of the year and, it, and it, it still is on the table at the other end is the possibility of, of again of a harder landing uh that's always sort of been there but now i think that the drivers of that have shifted a little bit to be well if inflation stays you know, kind of sticky the economy's running too hot the Fed just has to keep hiking so they won't stop necessarily at five percent they might go to five and a half or who knows they might even have to go to six percent at some point that's going to lead to probably a harder landing, a harder recession to finally wring inflation out of the economy. So just in the course of even less than eight weeks uh, this year, we've seen economic data that would suggest that upside scenario uh, tail is still very much impossible. The downside scenario is quite impossible. Neither one is our base case. It's somewhere kind of in between. But then to tie it in with the kind of the no-landing concept, you know, again, if we're sort of looking in, in a plane, we're flying at 30,000 feet, you can kind of look at the vast landscape and realize, like, you know, there's a lot of possible directions you can go, a lot of different ways in which you ultimately can kind of land. So there's still a lot of things that are kind of you know, potentially on the table. Uh, and given that the data is coming in and it tends to be volatile, it's sort of noisy, what we've seen even for the January data is that there's a lot of seasonal adjustments because as you turn the calendar year, there, you know, there's different things in terms of like, you know, wage increases tend to happen. Companies increase their prices a lot on an annual basis through the end of January. Uh, you, know, you have a lot of workers employed during the holiday season, like seasonal workers who then get laid off in January. You try and adjust for that seasonally. Um, these are big adjustments. And if you get them wrong, uh, if you're misinterpreting what's going on in the economy in terms of the statisticians, you can kind of get misleading results. So we've seen this kind of some signs of of kind of reacceleration or growth and inflation exceeding expectations, but that can also just be reflected of these challenges of trying to do these seasonal adjustments. Uh, So we need at least probably a couple more months at a minimum to get a better sense of where the things kinda kinda playing out. I think at the moment there's a lot of scope for for how this could evolve. Uh, We have to be kind of conscious of there is a subside scenario that's very plausible. There's a downside scenario that's very plausible. you know, even though that neither one is our current base case.
0: till we receive that clarity, Jason, whether it be a, a couple a few months from now, as you pointed out, there just seems from what I can gather to be a lot of uncertainty in the macro outlook at the moment. So I'm curious, how should investors navigate this environment and prepare their portfolios for the different possible outcomes that you just laid out for us?
1: Well, what we can do is you know try and understand like where we have more conviction on things could play out. So from an elevated level, we think inflation is still likely to decline during the course of the year. The question is, is how quickly and like what's the magnitude of disinflation throughout the year? Uh, it's also likely from the kind of current levels of economic activity, we're going to see some slowdown as the year goes on, just as a consequence of further Fed tightening and we know some of this operates with the lag. So growth is also like, likely to moderate as the year goes on. And if it doesn't, the Fed will just keep raising rates to ultimately kind of bring it down. So the direction of travel for both is lower. And that means there is going to be some sort of landing. What we also know is historically, when you have a situation where inflation is declining um, and the economy is slowing, that sort of combination of macro kind of you know, attributes tends to be a situation where. You know, bonds and high-quality high, high quality bonds, safer fixed income tends to, you know, perform, you know, reasonably well because it's often associated with a situation where, you know, the central banks, the Federal Reserve, they stop hiking rates and ultimately starts kind of cutting. Uh, and so that provides a bit of a tailwind there. At the same time, for risk assets like equities, like riskier, you know, kind of credit, corporate credit, uh, they may be more sensitive to economic growth. Uh, you know, slowing growth tends to be, you know, make it, you know, their returns, you know, lower than the average are, if not, um, you know, low, low positive returns or even kind of negative returns. So this is kind of consistent with our preferences for, for U.S. assets where we like investment grade corporate bonds, but we, those are most preferred. We have high yield corporate bonds as these preferred. Same thing with U.S. equities. Another thing that you can kind of look at is just you know, the valuations and are you getting compensated for the risk reward? And thinking, you know, there's a distribution of outcomes. Um, Where's the market sort of pricing? And then if we look at US asset classes right now, they're still pricing, a, you know, I think, a decent amount of kind of upside scenarios between like kind of a base case to upside scenarios. So not a lot of attractive risk reward at the overall kind of market level, whether for US equities, for high yield. So again, that sort of augurs for you know, shifting away and uh, portfolios from that. So that kind of flows into some of you know, the kind of the general guidance that we've had, which is still you know, kind of favoring kind of up in quality within fixed income. You don't have to take a lot of risk to get some return nowadays, and especially even as, as the Fed keeps hiking rates, you can get it with kind of short, short maturities. At the same time, longer-duration bonds do provide some portfolio diversification in the event there is a, a recession and uh, the Fed has you know, some cutting, cutting rates, long-term rates with the 10-year 10 plus tend to fall. That provides some diversification. Uh, you know Within equities, uh, you know, still have a kind of a defensive tilt within the sector allocation. Uh, you know, given that, uh, you know, things have, have done well, uh, you know, markets are higher, but, you know, in an environment where the bias is probably towards a little bit slower growth, having a slightly more kind of defensive tilt is still the kind of the right strategy. Uh, and then, you know, given the overall macro environment, for the moment, at least is still running, you know, relatively hot, let's say, or, you know, or what, above what the Fed wants, that tends to be an environment that's still kind of favorable for, for value stocks versus growth. Um, Into that environment, with rates likely to stay at least elevated a little bit in the near term, that would suggest that value stocks should continue to perform better than growth stocks. Now, then also stepping back and looking outside of the U.S., the picture there is, is better, I think, in terms of the growth like We've seen just even data this morning out of Europe, that looks a little bit better. We're seeing reopening in China, signs a sort of acceleration there. So the global story for growth is still, you know, overall good. That should benefit commodities, and that's one of our most preferred asset classes. Commodities also provides a hedge against environments in which, um, you know, if, if inflation stays sticky, if growers stay sticky, the Fed has to raise rates. It's challenging for conventional fixed income equities. Commodities can do well in that environment. That was the story of 2022. Um, also, given the kind of better global backdrop, um, emerging market equities just on a relative basis look more attractive. Their earnings story looks more attractive than the U.S. So kind of some the uncertainty within the U.S. environment versus a little more clarity and certainty on where the global story XUS is going suggests that investors in the U.S. At least should look outside you know, the home market to think about some of the opportunities to help diversify their portfolio given the macro uncertainty here right now.
0: Jason, it's always helpful to be current on CIO's macro market environment outlook and views and as you pointed out we have a bit of a roadmap here on how to navigate an uncertain environment. More to come as you pointed out. We'll We'll receive more clarity on how the macro environment plays out over the next few months, so certainly some follow-up conversations ahead. But thank you for touching base with us to kick off another week here on The Snapshot, Jason, and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation next week.
1: You're welcome, and have a good week.
0: Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And again today we have been joined by Jason Drejo, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Before we close out, I do want to point out again Jason's blogs, which we referenced during our conversation today, Turbulence Sounds Apropos, as well as Fatter and Flatter. Both blogs now available for you on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. Please be sure to reach out to your UBS Financial Advisor if you would like to receive copies of Jason's blogs directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.